Well, hello, everyone. Thanks again so much for joining us here at the History 296 podcast. Hope this finds you well wherever you're at and whatever you're doing right now. Thanks for tuning in again. So this week we are taking an important and fairly dramatic turn in the course as we spent the first few weeks um, really delving into the nature of Joseon society, past and present. And then this week really focusing in on the last several decades of the Joseon dynasty and beginning to ask what I have said is a central and enduring question in modern Korean history that dates back over 100 years to the period we're discussing now and continues to, in important ways, animate contemporary discourse and debates within South Korean society between North and South Korea, and to some extent had a, not to some extent, to a large extent, had a profound effect on the nature of the development and diffusion of the ideology surrounding the North Korean regime, right? Uh, and, and that question is, of course, how and why did the Joseon dynasty decline and, and in some ways dissipate or disappear with very little resistance? Um, there was some resistance, and we're going to talk about that in class next week. But um, relatively speaking, um, this wasn't like an invasion where an army came in and took over and dominated huge amounts of territory piece by piece in a war. Um, you know, something along the lines of what we would think about uh, if, in terms of the Imjin Wars and Hideyoshi's invasion, which we've mentioned several times. I mean, that's kind of more what we think about a country being taken over in, in a military sense. Whereas in Korea, what we're going to talk about this week is the experience of having Korea's sovereignty and independence um, that existed in, in very real ways, even as a vassal state of the Qing dynasty, slowly disappear by the stroke of you know, several pens in, in signing treaties, right? And that is going to be a question that animates Korean politics and various factions within Korean society for decades to come. And as we've talked about this theme of confronting crisis, confronting external crisis, internal crises, is going to yield various responses that range from, again, more traditional to moderate to more conservative. And we're going to see um, those kinds of forces coalesce and develop under the context of the obviously crisis that was colonial domination of Korea. And again, we're centering Korean perspective. And, and certainly um, within Korea, despite the different factions and, and perspectives that would emerge that we're going to be discussing um, over the next several weeks, it was universally seen as a crisis, as something that needed to be confronted and solutions or some sort of strategy for dealing with this situation needed to be developed. And we're going to see that that led to people to very different conclusions. And I hope, as we've talked about, one of the things that we get from studying history and, and from studying Korean history is to learn about these issues of complexity, the interaction between external and internal forces, but also the complicated nature of life under colonial rule. And we talked about the first week of the course that Korean history is global history. And um, certainly ex their experience of colonialism places Korea within a much broader global context as a large portion of the world's territory was under some form of what we would call colonial rule, maybe not officially annexed in the way Korea was, but in varying degrees, a large portion of the world's territory was colonized. And so the experience of colonialism in Korea is in some ways deeply interconnected with larger global processes ongoing at this time. But of course, at the same time, as we've discussed many times as well, that this experience of colonialism had its own unique features and components. I mean, one 
being that Korea was colonized by Japan rather than a European power. Um, obviously, Japan had colonial territories um, by the uh, you know by the apex of the Japanese Empire, stretching all the way into Southeast Asia, South Asia, and even in deep into the South Pacific Ocean, right? And so it was folded into this broader Japanese Empire, but in, in some ways had a a very specific though and in particular role as one of the only colonial or the only colonial territory that was annexed and officially or legally became part of Japan. Um, and there were some unique features about the Japanese colonial system that distinguished it from the British or the French or even the Dutch or other larger colonial powers from Western Europe, to be sure. And we're going to spend several weeks exploring that. And there was also obviously experienced by the Korean people in its own way, in its unique way. And, and Korea was perhaps unique um, amongst many societies that experienced colonialism um, because of having a pre-existing um, centralized political structure that was long in operation before being colonized. And it's not, and this is important, it's not that other colonized societies did not have any pre-existing political structure. I mean, this was part of the myth, the kind of racist mythology that permeated colonial enterprises, um, but they didn't exist in, in the same kind of continuous geographic centralized order in the way that Korean society did, right? That, that pre-colonial societies in many parts of the world tended to be um, feature much more um, systems of overlapping what we might call tribal or, um, you know, different ethnic differences based on language or religion and so forth, right? Um, so Korea is um, in some ways unique in its colonial experience, but it's also the same in that colonialism is the loss of internal control, right? And, and so I think we're going to be able to think about, again, that dynamic there where Korea as a society that was subject to colonial domination and, and loss of its own autonomy and, and ability for self-governance is deeply integrated within broader global history um, of this time, but at the same time had its very own unique experience of colonialism and its own unique permutations that emerged from that. And there's so much more I'd, I'd like to say now, but I try to keep these short as I always note. So one thing I do want to just lay out to give you a broad perspective, because next week we're going to talk about the initial treaties that created the slow step towards Korea's full annexation in 1910, beginning with the Treaty of Ulsan in 1905. Um, and then talk about the first period of Japanese colonial rule in Korea. Um, what I want to do is just offer you a, a broad overview of how often the colonial period in Korea is thought about or divided. Um, we've talked before how sometimes these divisions often are, can seem somewhat arbitrary, um, where, where one phase begins and the other ends is not like an official um, moment given to us by historical actors, but one looking back, we make judgments about where to divide. And, and in the case of Korea, there's there's a few events, um, particularly the March 1st movement, that do offer some specific breaks and in, in, in terms of changing from one order to another, even within the colonial context. And that's an important thing that, again, Japan's colonial rule in Korea and Korea's experience of colonial rule in Japan is not like one thing. People experienced it in many different ways and it changed dramatically over time in, in important ways. And there was a lot of ebb and flow and fluctuations within the very nature of Japanese colonial domination in Korea that we're going to explore. And that obviously produced different incentives and different uh, reactions and actions amongst the Korean people. So 
Generally, the first phase of colonial rule beginning in 1910 with the formal annexation is considered to be um, run from 1910 to a rough 1919 with the emergence of the March 1st movement. This period is one that's often considered to be marked by heavy dr- draconian control, a very Uh, kind of aggressive and violent sort of method of domination. Um, Very little options were offered to Koreans um, in terms of any sort of advancement or position within the colonial order. Uh, We'll we'll dig into that uh, much more deeply next week. Um, This is followed um, with the March 1st movement and the suppression of the March 1st movement connected to changes going on within Japanese society as well. Um, There was this period known as kind of cultural rule, Um, beginning roughly in 1920 and and carrying on throughout the 1920s. Um, And this was a period of, compared to the first era of colonial rule, the first eight or nine years was considered to be relatively liberal. Again, relatively. We'll talk about what what specifically that means. But nonetheless, um, there was a, a great deal more kinds of autonomy given to actors within Korea. There were like councils set up to give Koreans some mechanism of self-governance or some ability to interact with the colonial administration that had been wholly closed off during the first decade of colonial rule. This where now this period, you know, the first period is fairly clearly marked from before the March 1st movement to after the March 1st movement. That that has a little bit more of a clear demarcation. This second period, when this kind of relative easing of cultural rule ends and the more harsher or more kind of militaristic period begins, is not as clear cut. Man, many people point to the 1931 Manchuria incident as a key turning point, both within the Japanese Empire, but that, that obviously had dramatic impact on colonial system in Korea. Obviously, these things are deeply interconnected. But even as late as the 1920s, the authorities began to clamp down and to revoke some of the expansions of of liberty that were offered to Koreans. And, And I always want to stress this. We need to consider this in relative terms, right? We can't look at the 1920s as some period of freedom and and enjoy, you know, and and wide open ability to express themselves openly and freely in the sense that we would think about an open democratic society now, but relative to what came before it was. But certainly, again, some people point to 1931, but certainly by the outbreak of the Second Sino-Japanese War and the uh, creation of the puppet state of Manchukuo, we have that that fostered a dramatic change in both what Korea was as a colonial territory of the Japanese empire and its literal geographic location, but also presaged a turn to Korea being seen as a resource for the war effort, right? So if the first phase was just about suppression and control and domination, and the second phase was about a a somewhat relative easing and relaxation, the final phase was about full incorporation of Korean people and Korean resources and so forth as labor or soldiers or or workers or what have you into the war effort. And this would begin to accelerate with the outbreak of the first Sino-Japanese War and certainly ramp up um, with the outbreak of the war in the Pacific um, between the Japanese Empire and the United States after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, And this period would be, again, one where a period of total war where society saw all assets and all aspects of society, culture and ideology as centered around the war effort. And it was when during this period that some of the most dramatic expectations and, and heavy handed expectations were placed upon the Korean people in terms of demonstrating their allegiance and their loyalty to the Japanese emperor. 
and the Japanese Empire more generally. Um, and, and was a period where some of the policies at the time created perhaps some of the greatest lingering resentment and anger. And, and these are things that obviously we know、um, carry on to this day. And that's as good a point as any to try to wrap it up saying that these are obviously continue to be hot button issues. The very nature of that labor that was, you know, a, a people. Brought in and, and, and forced to work as, as laborers in the war effort during the late 1930s and early 1940s continue, you know, is being litigated in the courts to this day, right? So these are things that are, are, are obviously deeply integrated with contemporary affairs. And obviously, these are things that、um, are quite honestly sensitive,、um, and people have very strong feelings often about them, one way or the other. And I want to say, and I offer this、uh, every time I teach this course, that I don't consider my role, I'm not some sort of arbitrator, and we've talked about this, or like some Western perspective, or you know, here to figure out who's right or wrong, quote unquote, in these、um, claims about the nature of the colonial system and, and what it means and who did what. Um, obviously,、um, we didn't mention、um, here, but there's obviously one of the most painful aspects of this period is the legacy of the comfort women. We're going to also discuss that、uh, in the class. And、uh, again, though, my role, and I, I don't think it you know, should be, nor is it, to kind of try to adjudicate this or to um, provide um, you with some sort of answer about quote unquote who is right, who is wrong. What I do hope is that going through this detailed exploration over the next several weeks of the colonial period will make you much more knowledgeable about how this was experienced within Korean society, right? This is a course on Korean, modern Korean histories. We're centering the Korean narrative and also the deep, deep complexity that in, in, is involved with being subjected to colonial domination. And what, how one responds to that, and the deep scars that that places on a society that are very difficult to heal once colonialism ends, right? And that I hopefully that is something that comes out of this, and, and you have a better understanding of the way that these experiences continue to weigh heavily upon Korean society decades after the formal end of colonial rule in 1945. And again, I don't think that's going to give you the answers to these deep and important ethical questions about responsibility and claims and counterclaims of, of who did what and who is right and who is wrong. And that, again, is not、um, what this course is.、Um, you know, it's not the role of this course or me or, or, or anyone to really decide. I think these are things that you need to think about and come to your own understanding of. But I do hope that our deep dive. Investigation of this period and, and is an attempt to understand this period tells us a lot about the story of modern Korea and provides you with a set of concepts and ways of understanding this that will、um, forward your knowledge and your understanding and, and probably appreciation that these things are, are, are very gray. I mean, a lot of things in the world are, are black and white, and some aspects maybe are, but many things are gray, many things are, you know, to put it simply, complicated. And, and I hope embracing complexity will be、uh, an aid to you in, in developing your own thoughts and ideas about this. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I look forward to seeing you in class next week. Bye.